0: Hello, I'm Anne Flaherty, and I'm here today on behalf of the Irish Cultural Centre in Hammersmith, London. As part of its remit, the ICC provides a platform for Irish authors to launch, promote and discuss their works. Its inaugural literary festival in autumn 2020 showcased a number of Irish writers from all parts of Ireland, from Canada and from America. This slightly shorter series is going to focus specifically on leading writers from Northern Ireland. Today I'm talking to Glenn Patterson. Glenn is from Belfast and is the award-winning author of 10 novels and a number of non-fiction works, including Backstop Land, which was published in, in 2019. And his latest book, Where Are We Now?, was published last year. It's been described as a novel about lost love, growing older, and the realities of life in a society still haunted by decades of violence. It's been also described as moving, funny, topical and sharp and a life affirming story of a life not yet over. So, Glenn, I wanted to talk to you a a little bit about uh, the inspiration behind the novel, where it came from and how you've been managing to promote it, because obviously we've been in lockdown ever since it came out.
1: Uh, Well, yes, promotion has been uh, ever so slightly difficult. Uh, The the novel was published. Uh, last march march 2020 and uh the week of the first lockdown being announced was the uh, i was due to do an event uh, in uh, belfast's uh, famous new alibis bookstore and uh, so we cancelled that and i remember going in and recording a short message uh to put on the new alibis website um and saying um i'll sure i'll see you all in a few weeks thinking, you know, that perhaps uh, there would be an opportunity to do something in person in the shop or uh, in in the very near future. But uh, here we are one year on. The hardback is about to come out in paperback and uh, and we're still doing things uh, remotely. And of course, I was supposed to come to the ICC uh, as well last spring uh, to read from the book and didn't get an opportunity. So but, you know, it's um, a lot of people have had books uh, cancelled, books postponed uh it did get published and um you know books always have to find their own way in the world um and there was a long long time when we didn't go around doing readings from things so Mm. this is nice
0: well, let's talk a little bit about the book. Um, so the central character is Herbie, and Herbie's at a bit of a crossroads in his life. He's lost his job. His wife, his wife has left him, and he's feeling a bit uh, sorry for himself. Um, his social life seems to centre around a place called Sam's Cafe, where he has, you know, where his cronies meet up and have a cup of coffee. And the tables are uh, <laughs> segregated by uh, letters from. The s- Scrabble?
1: Scrabble, giant Scrabble letters, <laughs> exactly. yeah. An incomplete set of Scrabble letters uh, that the Sands Cafe is, uh, the owners of it um, have furnished it with the bits uh, from uh, field cafes elsewhere, which isn't really a good omen, but you can get them cheaply. So uh, one of them has bought uh, an incomplete set of giant uh, Scrabble tiles which they have um, put on the on the tables. And every so often uh, somebody comes in, they don't know who's doing it, but they pick up the D and the I and the C and the K and they put them right. the tables next to each other. They do this every day, much to the annoyance of the, uh, of the owners of the cafe. Uh, I have to say that the, the novel is published, it is called Where Are We Now? Um, as with, I think, uh, my last four novels, that wasn't at all what it was called um, when I was writing it. Uh, I was calling it something completely different. And uh, m- my editor persuade me, persuaded me, Neil Belton persuaded me that perhaps the uh, title I had in mind uh, wasn't maybe the, the one that it should be published under. What uh, was that, I, Glenn? Of course, now we're dying to know. Uh, well, I was I was writing, when I was writing it, I was calling it iterations. Um, um, <laughs> see, see I can your see why he might have <laughs> changed. Your face. Your right. Right. Your face. That's, I think that's what Neil was thinking when he said, and no, we're not going to call it that. But the reason um, the reason I was calling it iterations is that thought when you're asking where did the book come from, uh, two things about that word, iterations. It's a word that I don't think I ever really encountered uh, until about a decade ago. And then all of a sudden, it's one of those words that seemed to come in from the sides into the center of our conversation. And suddenly everywhere was iterating. Uh, we didn't have versions anymore we had iterations of things and i was thinking about our lives and um, about the different stages of our lives and wondering do we ever change are we the same people at 60 as we were at 16 or six Uh, or are we um these kind of discrete units of ourselves connected only by a very very thin tissue of uh, family lore um photographs so how much do how much does the person who we are today relate to the person that we were uh in times past and that's really one of the questions that herbie is asking himself he's he's on his own um and he's uh he has a lot of time to to think about his life he's not particularly unhappy but he just finds himself at a stage in his life where he has quite a lot of time uh to reflect uh so that was iterations I was thinking about these different stages of our lives and um and how how they relate um but that wasn't really um the title that my editor thought it ought to be published under so it's, it's where are we now and the title where are we now A lot of people might recognise or remember the late David Bowie song. Uh, I mean, late in David Bowie's career, he uh, had a a song called Where Are We Now? And I remember seeing the video for that. So that must have been about 2013 or something that came out. And it's a a beautiful, beautiful song. So elegiac, Um, thinking about um, his reflecting on his time and remembering his time in Berlin um, in the mid 1970s, late 1970s. And uh, I just remember being so struck by. it. I remember actually standing crying, watching the video for that and listening to that song. And uh, so when I was casting around for a different title, um, I remembered that song. And there is actually a, there's a, a a young guy who plays piano in Sam's Cafe some Thursday nights. Uh, and uh, at some point, he he does actually sing "Where Are We Now," and I thought that will do me.
0: Hmm. Well, it is very fitting because, as you mentioned, Herbie is at a kind of a crossroads in his life. He's he's at. In fact, the book opens when he goes to his GP and says, "Someone has stolen my identity."
1: <laughs> well, and that's of impressive. Course,
0: yeah, you know that's very. Uh, you know, it's very. It's a metaphor, I suppose, for you know what's going on in the city around him. Because mm. one of the things is that, uh, and uh, as you take him through the journey back home on those buses, not the Bendy buses, the other buses, that he is looking around him and looking at how how Belfast has changed. So, for example, you know, uh, tourism, he's looking at the 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 chaps who are offering the tours of the city Uh, and, um, you know, physically, of course, the whole place is changing And, and he's changing, too. But he doesn't quite know where. Now, he's got this job where he's actually excavating other people's ancestors up yes. in the public record office. Yes. Tourists and people like that who have come to look, you know, for their for their family history. And I thought that perhaps that was a metaphor as well. So um, Belfast, at a crossroads, Brexit, transition, things changing physically and internally. Was that what you were sort of after, really? in
1: yeah, I, all good. of all of those things are present, um, and I think when you start to write any book, there there are lots of things that are going on, and at any one time you maybe have three, four ideas of that you're pursuing, and at you know sometimes one of them seems um, more insistent, and this idea of of a character who became Herbie he didn't have a name. Uh, was there for a little while, and I, I thought that thing about um, somebody stolen my identity. Um, you know, somebody looking at um, all these things that relate to them. You know, you know those things that we build up, all those receipts for things that we can't remember ever buying, uh, <laughs> photographs, and you don't recognize anybody in them anymore, and so things like that. So, I like I had that idea of this person who felt slightly dislocated, um, and uh, that that might be a, a good place to start. But as you say, Belfast is changing, as it is in the nature of cities to do. Uh, it's been changing uh, rather rapidly in recent years. There had been, of course, that period when there seemed to be very little change except for destruction. And then it was followed by a, um, a period which was really ongoing until we um, hit the, uh, the, the pandemic um, of quite rapid growth and uh, an influx of tourists. So it's, and I think we all have this experience, or I surmise we might all have this experience that there's a moment when you feel right across the place that you live, you think that you you know it, you you just you know this place, this is your place, and then there's a time where you you see things and you think I just. I'm not quite sure, not sure where that road leads to anymore. I'm not sure what's down there. Uh, There's something that's opening. You don't get to every new bar that opens. You don't get to, um, you know, you don't get to do all the things that the city now has to offer. And I think that's, he's just been ever so slightly outrun by the place that he lives. Um, If I could think of him, I would just have him kind of slightly bent over with his hands on his thighs, trying to catch his breath um, and everything just going past him. Uh, So he's, yeah, he's, 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 got to a point in his life where the changes that are going on are not things that he um in any way resents. He just realizes that this is the way it happens, that there's a moment where you stay still and it carries on. Um, and um so that's that's exactly where he is. And then when I started writing the novel or thinking about the novel, there was no Brexit referendum. Uh, it hadn't been mooted. Uh and then that became a part of it as well. Um that I that Question of well, where where is this place now? Where is Northern Ireland now? Where is um? How does it relate to the rest of the island? How does it relate to the island uh, next door? Hello, everybody in the island next door. If you didn't know, you're in the island next door. That's where you are. Um, <laughs> so, all of those things just fed into it, um, and 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 as I was started to write it, then some of the characters came to me um not uh, not in the sense of metaphor but I, you, you start to deploy people around the place um this fictional world you have in mind uh so his um Herbie's ex-wife is now um, in a relationship and living right at the foot of the island um she's kind of descended by degrees through ireland um by um this new relationship and she's now li- living right 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 down at the at the very very tip um, So. Yeah, just trying to think. And his daughter, who's been living in England, comes back. She's bankrupt, and comes back to stay with him. Which really is where the novel really takes off. Mm. That that opening chapter is him in this uh, trying to trying to locate himself, and then his uh, his daughter announces that she's coming back home mm. from England.
0: When you mentioned there about seeing uh, visualizing Herbie as being slightly bent over, you know, it, <laughs> it, it made me. It, it's catching his breath that he'd been a bit sort of battered by life as it were you know um a bit sort of beaten down by by the things that had happened external things that had happened uh all the securities that he'd had his job and the wages office and his and his wife you know being part of of, of a, a, a couple and a family um that that has sort of uh beaten him down a wee bit and then looking at the other characters in the book they were to me anyway felt as if they were also a little bit you know, dislocated or uh, a bit, a bit sort of beaten down by life, and it reminded me of something that you that you wrote, um, where you said you talked about the nobility of everyday life, people going about their daily mm. lives, and that sometimes you sit on a bus and you look out and you almost feel emotional when you watch people just going on with life and getting on with things. Mm and I, that was the I, sense that I, I got from from the characters in that book is that you were in a way trying to tell a story about people who you know hadn't had
1: easy lives hmm. I, I i and you know given the year that we've just had and what we've gone through and we you realize just how uh, extraordinarily difficult it can be sometimes just to get from one end of a day to uh, the other mm-hmm. um, and so i feel it even more but I do. I've always, I've always thought there was something um, heroic uh, in in making a life uh, and in, in any sort of ex- uh, extreme circumstances that you might find yourself in, as people in, in Northern Ireland did uh, across the period of the Troubles. But but then, as you know, as as um, as people have done through the uh, the economic crisis of recent years, you know, there there are all these things ranged against you. And to do what are called the simple things in life—it's <laughs> actually very, very difficult. And and I think that idea about people not quite having their place—I remember when I was when I was young, I would have heard people always there you would be described in terms of your job. Um, so that that was you, and that was kind of like you for life. Um, people had trades, they had occupations, um, and. And you, if, if those things start to be taken away, if you enter into a world where work is uh, no longer, um, one job is not going to define you, that, that uh, your work is um, very, very, very uh, uncertain and that you might move from career to career or from, um, from, from one job to another in a, in a very short period of time, all of those things that you used to say were you um, are, are unreliable. So, what do you fall back on? You you kind of come back to that. Uh, what is the essential you? And um, and I think we are we are social creatures. Um, we we exist um, and take uh, our own sense of ourselves from the people around us. Um, and so, anything any of those things being challenged can be quite destabilizing for Herbie at the time that he's at. Quite a lot of them have uh, changed all at once, but. As I say, I don't think it's an exceptional um, circumstance that he's in. And I think, as I say, the, the last year, as we realised just how precarious so many of the things that we have maybe previously relied on for our sense of ourselves, we see how precarious they are, then we do maybe feel all a little bit more vulnerable. Mm, that is true.
0: Um, I wanted to, uh, to ask you though, when you mentioned about the uncertainty of careers, the thing that came into my mind was, being a writer <laughs> and uh, uh, in terms of your own childhood and growing up in 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 Belfast and um, there was never any suggestion was there that that that's the path that you would take like when you were at school and um, you know where, where were you the, the boy who was you know took the class in English was was it how did it evolve then that you actually came down this in, in, into this, yeah,
1: into this? I, I mean I was always, I always had an interest in in writing but I don't I don't um it's always very it's, it's very easy to do it retrospectively and to, to to retrofit it but I did I did have an interest in writing and I was when I was very young writing um uh, wee stories uh and I would be taken when I was in you know primary one taken up to the next class to read my to story read them out. To, to, yes <laughs> so you can imagine how popular that made me with the people above uh <laughs> But I was, so I was always, as I said, it didn't make me a better writer, but it made me a better runner because when I got let out of break time, they would chase you. Um, uh, So I did, I did always write, but I don't, you know, I, I don't think I ever would have had any idea that I was being a writer. I was just trying things out on paper. And I think that's one of the, maybe one of the best ways I know to describe what it is that I do as a writer, and, uh, which is that. I think things through on the page. Um, that my relationship with words um, is is one that takes place on the page. Um, yes. Did, so, did you say
0: that all novels are actually asking questions as opposed to answering them?
1: Yeah. I do. I think. Well, I think in the very first thing, since you're trying to like that, that that book that we're talking about with mm-hmm. Where Are We Now, you started. You've got an idea, a couple of ideas. I you you gradually understand a little bit more about a character like Herbie but you're still you're still asking yourself, who is he and what's he doing and what's going to happen to him as you're going along. By the time you get to the end of it and then you revise it and you revise it again, you know, and then the reader is in the position that you were when you started it. They opened the book. and They have no idea who this person is, but you are sometimes always when you start to write, you're feeling your way. And the the book, in a way, is the answer to the question, what is this book about, Um. But, uh, yeah, I I think that you're always kind of asking questions when you write. And I think books are are ways of uh, elaborate ways of asking questions about the world and uh, our place in it. Um, So I I think books don't really give you the answer to anything, but they just give you other ways of perhaps posing questions. Mm
0: -hmm. So you you're there as as, as a young as a young lad and you're writing away and then it comes up to a level time or whatever. And you're starting to think about what you might do
1: so yeah I I had um well the University of East Anglia was um had its creative writing MA and when I left school I actually I didn't go to university straight away I worked in a bookshop in Belfast a Mm -hmm. small independent bookshop called Crane's Bookshop I got a job in there and a friend of mine who had already gone to university came back and told me something about the UEA course um he didn't quite tell me he told me something he was telling me about Ian McEwan and said that Ian McEwan had uh, gone to this university uh, in East Anglia and had written all these stories hadn't done anything else and they'd given him a degree so I thought I could do that that's what I thought because <laughs> I was that age where I thought I could do that um and then I uh, inquired a little bit more about it and found out that this what he was referring to was the MA in creative writing which was the only one at that stage This in the early 1980s the only MA in creative writing so I went. I went to East Anglia as um, as an undergraduate, and just thought I'll go and I'll write. Um, I actually was going to change my name. I was going to call myself Henry Coughlin. I decided because I, I was a, I was a bit afraid about writing the things that I wanted to write set in Belfast at that stage uh, using my own name. Mm-hmm. So I decided uh, on the model of George Orwell, who had taken the most English forename he could think of and uh, the River Orwell, and. Put those together and became George Orwell. I decided that I would be Henry as the most English name and Coughlin because Eamon Coughlin, the Irish runner uh, at that uh, time. I thought if I put put the two of them together, then Henry Coughlin would kind of capture my northern Irishness um, of feeling both things. Um, Anyway, I got to I got to university and uh, I just got called Irish Glen from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. So out the window went my um, my name. Um, my pen name but I did start I started to write then um, but I was you know I've been trying out all kinds of things I'd written poetry I'd written short stories I tried writing screenplays I tried writing songs I just enjoyed trying things and then very very gradually I, it came to me that really uh, the only thing that I could write with any sort of well the place that seemed the best form was the novel. Because it just seemed to give you the most uh license, I think, was yes. what it was. Yeah, and you could put a whole lot into a novel. It was really um quite uh quite forgiving um in in uh, in, in what you brought to it. yeah. Um, yeah. So maybe that was it.
0: In, in terms of going away, Glenn, what I was interested in was um, I hadn't realised, of course, that you did work in a bookshop first and I wondered why you hadn't gone to Queen's University like lots of other Irish writers. But there's always that ongoing debate, isn't there, with, uh, with Irish writers, North and South, about going away and leaving hmm. you know, your country behind for all sorts of reasons, either because hmm. you're, you, you need the space or the perspective or you're fed up or you feel it's a cultural wasteland or, or oppressive or whatever. And how much of that was in your mind when you decided to go away? or I know you said it was because of the the actual creative writing course but was there an element in you that was thinking I want to get out of this kit
1: uh yes there was an element that of me was thinking I, I need to get out of here so that around the time I'm talking about was the time of the hunger strikes mm-hmm. uh, 1981 um and uh, it was a difficult time to be here um I I did want to go, I, um, I mean, the very simple answer to why I didn't go to Queen's University was it was right next door to the school I went to and I knew if I went there, it would be quite difficult to move out of the family home. Um, you know, my mum and dad would say, why are you getting a flat when you can just get the bus and you be here in 10 minutes? So uh, a complex, yeah, you know, sometimes, some days I just wanted to get away. By the way, yesterday I wanted to get out of here. Um, there are lots of days living in Belfast where I think I want to leave Um, and uh, there were other times where I I absolutely loved being in Belfast at that particular moment because in the early 1980s for all that there was um, there were uh, tensions and there was a a lot of violence it was actually better than it had been in the early 1970s when my older brothers were in their teens it felt a little bit like it was opening up Uh, people I knew were in bands they were you know there were clubs opening where you could go and listen to live music so in some ways it wasn't an awful place but then there were other days I just thought I can't live like this uh I was very I felt very circumspect um and very circumscribed in what I could read I was always afraid of being you know stopped by uh not by police or by the army but by paramilitaries around where I lived um that you know they would look very closely you'd be questioned about allegiances, you know, there were, there was an awful lot that you were surrounded by that was um that would make you uh a little nervous and also just feeling that you you couldn't um as I said the reason I was going to change my name was because I just worried about um wanting to write the things that I could see in my head that I thought I might write. Um so in the end going to going to university, going to England uh was um was quite useful in a very practical way um i just wasn't uh, in belfast anymore and and, uh, and i started to write about it in a way that um, i hadn't done when i was living there or here mm. so you were a bit more freed up to say the things so. you wanted yeah, to say i think yet. so yeah. somewhere in there i need to say as well that the girl i was going out with at school um you know there's, there's always something else going on you know and if uh, so there were yeah there were there was a relationship involved in there as well and um yeah so all our decisions are you know they're made up of of different elements, but there was certain. There was certainly a bit of me that thought, uh, "I yeah, I, I could do with getting out um, mm-hmm. and um, and getting another another perspective, just another way of turning around and looking at mm-hmm. uh, even the things of your own life up to that date." Mm-hmm. One of the things that was really interesting to me was when I did go away. I um, there was I always. I mean, politically, I've always been on the left. And it was a very curious thing, as somebody who was politically on the left, to arrive in England at that time and to seek out others who were politically on the left. Um, who, hearing that I was a Belfast Protestant, um, I profess no religion, I practice no religion, um, but I'm still that would be what I was termed. Um, would have found that quite difficult that there was that you could have um, a political viewpoint that was. On the left, um, and and be from a background that they would have considered uh, inherently unionist. So that was kind of a curious thing as well. I started to look a little more closely at uh, the place that housing estate where I grew up, um, and and thinking a little bit about um, things like the Anglo-Irish Agreement happened uh, while I was at university in nineteen eighty-five. Anglo-Irish agreement, and there were hundreds of thousands of people out in the streets of Belfast protesting against that. And, uh, and I remember sitting with some friends, some English friends, and they were looking, these were uh, Northern Ireland unionists uh, out demonstrating, and I remember somebody, one of my English friends, shaking his head and saying, who are these people? Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, well, I probably know quite a lot of them, actually. <laughs> I saw, And, and so I, I thought... One of the things I wanted to do in my writing was to maybe answer that question or ask that question again. Who are these people? Who are these people who feel themselves British um, uh, and maybe feel themselves to be British and Irish at the same time? So my first novel was called Burning Your Own. Um, and although it was set in 1969, it was being written around the time of that Anglo-Irish agreement in the mid 80s. And was probably a way of, uh, of answering some of those questions or asking them again.
0: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so you were 26 when you published your first novel mm-hmm. and it did very well and uh after that you never really looked back did you it was full steam ahead and on the next one
1: um half steam ahead onto the next one um i, I, on one. <laughs> um, I was yeah I, had a, I think it was four years between the first one coming out and the second one and i'm curiously mm-hmm. what happened when i uh when i started to write the second one i decided that because the first one had been set in 1969 that I wanted to write something in the then present day that I was writing in, so the, the later 1980s. I was still living in England, and uh, but I wanted to set it in Belfast, and I would come back to Belfast every, by this stage I was living in Manchester. I'd be back in Belfast maybe every eight weeks, something like that. And every time I came back, a location I'd had in mind had gone because there was a lot of redevelopment going on. Um, and uh, this is in advance of the ceasefires and the peace process, but things were uh, clearly improving. And I just thought it was changing so fast that I didn't have a hope of keeping up with the change that was going on unless I actually moved back. So in the course of writing my second novel, which was called Fat Lad, um, I moved back and I made the moving back part of the subject of the of the novel. I created a character who um was coming back to work in a bookshop um and uh i sort of i imagined that he was like three or four steps ahead of me when i was walking through town i would always think just beyond the people in front of me i can see him there's through and so that became part of it and it was about the way in which cities in particular but the city of belfast how they change um over over time um, Mm -hmm. So that was it. So it was really, yeah. That's that's where that came out of. And and then at that stage, I I, I that was me begun to move back. So I moved back permanently in the uh, early nineteen nineties, and uh, have been here have been here since.
0: One of the things that interested me there a minute ago was when you said how when you went to university, uh, having to sort of explain things to people about unionism shall we say or or whatever you know what whatever was going on in Belfast and and it strikes me that that seems to be one of the recurring things in your work is, is 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 and particularly I think in backstop land where you're trying to explain or you know chronologically bring um politics and history from the you know from 400 years ago right up to now but in terms of explaining to people because when when people said to you who are these people of course you repeated that again in Backstop Land where you start to talk about the DUP and Theresa May after the election when they became kingmakers for a while that that was that recurring theme seems to be people saying who are these people and and it it strikes me that the complications and the layers of society in, in Northern Ireland you know where it's never simple you know protestant and catholic you know within that there are so many layers that you do as a writer i suppose um especially if you're doing journalistic writing hmm. uh have have a almost kind of like failure on a mission to explain to people the complexities of the place
1: I, I, the, the language of the language of politics tends to be reductive Exactly, um, and uh, and so those labels uh, that they, they they aren't even the labels of your choice. So there are things that are put onto you, and um, and there are assumptions made because of certain words that attach to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think what you do with uh, what literature can do, what art can do, of course, it opens that up. It makes it about the individual experience. It, it's it's about complexity. So it complicates in a very, very, very useful way. And um, I, there are so many strands in the mid 90s, just after I moved back here, uh, I was asked to make a documentary for BBC Northern Ireland about Protestant culture. And I said to the producer who had asked me, I said, not on your life. I'm not going to go near anything that talks about that because it's not, that is not in any way how I see myself. And then I thought about it and I thought, well, I thought two things. I thought they'll ask somebody else to do that. And then I started thinking somebody else might do that and um, I'll really hate it. I'll watch it and I'll really hate it. So so if somebody's going to make it, I'll, I'll make it after. I, I will do that. I wouldn't mind. <laughs> but I thought if I'm going to do it, what I wanted to do was to look at all the, aspects of that word Protestant and see is there anything in there that's useful is there anything in there that I actually do feel um, pride in but that I, um, I've i taken uh, some kind of inspiration from and of course when you do look at it um, what, you, what you see is that there are so many varieties of this that there is I mean there's been such a, a tradition of uh, radicalism here in the city of Belfast going back to the the late 18th century, when this really, really was, um, you know, this was way ahead of any of the, many of the cities on on both these islands, and there are all these different strands, and I thought, well, you know, I I can actually um, celebrate that uh, as part of um, this really wonderful um, identity that I have, which instead of being reduced is actually expansive. I can have all of these things. And that's one of the, we we actually called the documentary More of It Than We Think. um, And it's a line from Louis McNeese's Snow, which which I think uh, instead of a national anthem, we should just have a national lyric. uh, And it would be Snow by Louis McNeese. World is crazier and more of it than we think, incorrigibly plural. It's a really, really important poem uh, McNeese, a really important uh, poet, uh, born in Belfast, grew up in Carrickfergus and then lived most of his life in England. Uh, but there's something about that idea of complexity, diversity, um, and uh, about multiplying the idea that you can have all of these identities and hold them. Uh, so it's a very long answer to your to your question, but that's what art does. Art complicates in a wonderful way. Uh, it makes it very, very hard to reduce somebody down to one word or label, which very often in in politics and also sadly uh, in the past here was really trying to reduce something down to the one word for which you could kill somebody.
0: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Life
1: denying as opposed to life affirming.
0: Just mentioning there uh, about um, stereotypes reminded me a little bit of... of, um, different types of novels coming out of Northern Ireland Um, and maybe, um, well there's a change obviously in the atmosphere now and and there's an awful lot of, of, there are an awful lot of new writers coming out and maybe we'll talk about the Seamus Heaney Centre in a minute, but it just reminded me of two novels that I read myself uh, last year which were, um, which of course Milkman and uh, Jan Carson's The Firestarters and we've interviewed Jan for this series as well, I've interviewed her Mm -hmm. And what I thought was interesting was uh, the way in which they are looking at new forms and using different structures and language and uh, to tell, you know, different stories. You know, in other words, they're taking, uh, one is, uh, Jan's is set in in East uh, Belfast during the marching season. And then, of course, Anna Burns is set in, in, in Nationalist West Belfast. But they're, It may be the same story, but it's been told in a different way, using a whole different narrative and a whole different structure to tell those stories. Mm -hmm. And do do you feel yourself that uh, there's a difference uh, now in writing and living in Northern Ireland, that, that, you know, there's a freedom now?
1: I I think there's an enormous amount of extraordinarily good, New writing coming out of here um, at the, at present. I mean, I think Milkman is really, it is one of those books. I remember I got a I got a proof copy of Milkman, and I read about three pages, about three pages in. I just thought this is extraordinary. And sometimes you feel yourself as a reader to be you put your entire faith in what the writer is doing. And you do that very, very early on. Do you know why sometimes you start to read something and you go, I'm not really sure about this. I'm not really sure I'm enjoying it. Uh, I'm gonna... There was something about Milkman that really from the beginning, I thought I couldn't see what was going to happen. Couldn't begin to imagine it, but I, I could see how what was going to happen was going to read on the page, sound on the ear, that inner ear. Um, I just trusted it so completely and i thought this is just going to be an extraordinary book and it is an extraordinary book and i think it's um i think it's probably in in many ways it 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 is the, the most important book um that's been published here in the last 20 30 years and that's saying a lot because there've been some extremely good novels um collections of short stories have been some really really powerful stuff but i think uh, it is a book to which a lot of people will uh, look. Sometimes a, a book can kind of shift things, and you look towards that as a touchstone. Um, I'm I'm reading a little belatedly, uh, "Big Girl, Small Town," um, and uh, and and the epigraph in that is from is from Milkman. Very different uh, style of book. Uh, but nevertheless that that's um, that's a a very appropriate choice of of epigraph and it's that way of as I say it sort of just shifts um, the the whole kind of enterprise a little bit Um, so I think there's an awful lot of really 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 good writing I'm going to say that I think that there always has been yes and and that maybe uh, in the past it's been um, a little bit more difficult but I'm wary of saying that because that makes it sound as though um, somehow it's it's not easier for people to to publish the types of um, interesting fiction that is that are being published. Anna Burns, um, you know, the 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 journey for Anna Burns to Milkman is uh, as a writer's journey is quite an extraordinary one. Um, it's a it's a, a story of extreme dedication um so you know they these are these are writers who haven't had something handed to them they have made uh they have made the world receptive to the stories that they want to write um i said i was reading a uh, big girl small town it mm-hmm. reminds me of if it reminds me of any one book that's been uh from here uh an earlier book it's uh, ripley bogle by mm-hmm. uh, robert McLean wilson, wilson uh from what's that 1989 Yes, there's there's something of the uh, something of the energy of that. I mean, and, you know, you read that anybody who uh, wants to know wonders if there had been uh, experimentation with form in uh, fiction here in the past. Uh, just pick up um, Ripley Bogle and read the first couple of pages of that. Um, so so I think there is a great deal of new writing. Um, I think there is, as you say, there's a, a, a lot of experimentation as well. But I don't think it's coming entirely from nowhere, um, but, uh, but it's fantastic. It's really exciting. It's a really, uh, really, really exciting time to be a reader, um, reading books from here. And the, the fact that these books are having commercial success, critical success um, is, um, you know, as, as somebody who's spent his life um, involved um, in, in writing and in teaching writing and encouraging reading, um, you could only rejoice in it. Mm-hmm.
0: just uh, tell me a little bit about your work with the uh, Seamus Heaney Centre at Queen's and how how things are going now in the middle of this lockdown
1: uh, well so the, the Seamus Heaney Centre at Queen's uh, was opened in 2004 with um, the first director of it was Kieran Carson um, that wonderful wonderful uh, Belfast writer international writer who lived in Belfast uh, poet novelist uh, writer of um on categorizable um books it's just a, a wonderful uh Belfast writer as I said an international writer who happened to spend all his life here Kieran was the first director of the center it opened as the Seamus Center for Poetry it was instantly to the place where creative writing at Queen's uh was anybody who taught creative writing just had an office in there so it was uh both things at once creative writing and poetry and uh, so I've been there since, uh, since it opened. I was um, teaching creative writing. I'd helped set up an MA in creative writing at Queen's. And, and then we started a PhD. We were the first place on the island to offer a PhD in creative writing. Um, but I was very part-time looking after PhD students. And then three years ago, um, I, the opportunity arose and I um, became the director. So i've been the director of the haney Center since uh, 2017 uh, it's come up to four years um and it's uh, it, it's it's just a what can i say it, it's it's uh, as a center for new writing uh for uh inquiry um uh, as a place to bring together uh younger writers um uh, poets fiction writers playwrights screenwriters um it's it's a great place. Again, the word I used earlier, energy. There's a wonderful energy around it. And you might just, uh, on any given day when we could go into buildings, uh, you might walk down the stairs um, and see Jan Carson standing there because she's come in to talk to somebody um, who's a friend who's in there who's studying or working. In fact, Jan's doing a project at the minute uh, with a colleague um, and she's doing some work on uh, writing and dementia. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so she is actually... Doing a bit of work lucy caldwell who i think you said you had um also yep. was involved in this series um was a, a fellow we had a we have a, a series each year we have three seamus heaney center fellows where we invite three established uh writers in all kinds of forms songwriters playwrights to come and spend some time with our students so my idea about it is that it's a place that we just you know it's, it is a centre. So. A center has to has to be allowed has to be to be able to invite people into it um, and the concentration of people uh, I always think is very fertile so so that's what it is. it's a place for um, the the study of creative writing, poetry um, and the encouragement of new writing.
0: Mm-hmm. And you've still managed to keep those connections going throughout the lockdown.
1: We've done everybody. what everybody else has done. We've done what you're like, doing with your Zoomed, you know, we, yeah. mm-hmm. we've, we've, uh, we've carried on um, with our events. We've found new ways of doing things um, and just to keep conversations going. And some of the things, of course, we've discovered are actually not better than uh, the live events that we love so much. But perhaps you can reach audiences further away. Maybe we all thought so much in terms of which i love i love the idea of turning up at a place on eight, at eight o'clock on a thursday evening uh, of going in and sitting listening to something coming out standing around afterwards talking to friends talking to people you'd never met before that moment and going for a drink oh, yes. all of that i love all of that but i also know that we're able to do events now and throw them open and we've got audiences um right across the world mm-hmm. who, are, who are coming into them so we're doing what everybody can. We're we are making the best of the moment, um, and hoping that the moment uh, will soon pass, um, and that mm-hmm. we'll get back to doing things uh, in the way that we used to, but without um, without losing some of the of the gains from from recent times.
0: Mm-hmm. Could we just talk for uh, a little bit about Brexit?
1: And mm-hmm. because um, you, I didn't do it. Wasn't me. <laughs> you, I, I, nothing to do with me. I didn't know. Well, you've had a lot I to say it. about it, Glenn it. <laughs> it. It.
0: Yeah. You've had a lot to say about it, and I, you're not getting off the hook I, here now. I, I, <laughs> Um, you wrote a piece there some time ago about a trip down to Fork Hill, to the border, and uh, and mentioning how, um, uh, you know, the apparatus, shall we say, of the border had gone and Brexit was now going to bring it all back. Um, for a while there, for the last year or so, we've completely forgotten about Brexit because, of course, we were so worked up about the, um, the pandemic. Mm-hmm. What is... The atmosphere like in belfast now or what you know what are your at the, thoughts at the minute
1: at the minute the mm. atmosphere is not great mm-hmm. um and uh, that trip to fork hill so i went to fork hill just um when was the, the referendum was 2016 so i must mm. 2017, early 2017 I think. 17, yeah i went i went with donovan wiley yes photographer for, and uh, and we went he had made a book uh, about the dismantling of the of, of, oh. sorry, army observation posts. he had made a book. Um, and so we were going back around some of the places in South Armagh where army observation uh, posts had once been on hills. And, uh, and one of those was in Fork Hill. So we were talking to each other as much as talking to the people who we met along the way um, about what might happen next. And at that stage, it was very unclear what it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think I ever thought the apparatus of a border was coming back, but we could, we just couldn't. Nobody could quite see it. So it was interesting just to to ask people who live in that border area, um, and and uh, some of the responses really surprised me. Um, there were uh, there were people who. I think I said in that piece that I wrote for that piece for the Guardian that I wrote um, that I thought that maybe a lot of people would like um, a United Ireland, but still with a wee bit of border. Because just because for definition, um, because there was something about um, uh, a feeling there is a there there was a feeling that some people would express um, who were United Irish in their um, aspirations, United Ireland in their aspirations who still nevertheless thought that there was something slightly different about the north side of the border and the south side of the border. And, you know, again, people's responses can be a little bit more complicated um, Mm -hmm. uh, than you might at first think. And and equally, we would meet people who um, maybe you would have thought would be um, definitely unionist, who would um, be quite relaxed about the idea of... uh, of a United Ireland, and anyway, so there was there, there, that was um, that, that was then, uh, that was then. This is and this out. is now, and of course, so I wrote that book, Backstop Land, mm-hmm. and, uh, and just before the book came out, the backstop was pulled away, and uh, the the Northern Ireland Protocol took its place, mm-hmm. uh, with the provision for what. A, Times seem to be rather emotively referred to as a border in the Irish Sea, but turns out to be fairly accurately a border in the Irish Sea because there there are uh, new regulatory checks required of goods coming into Northern Ireland from Great Britain. And um, and it's been uh, predictably uh, a bit of a mess. Um, and uh, and some of the responses to it have been quite troubling um and you know there's been graffiti around the place uh seeming to threaten people who work in those new customs checks uh, or goods checking facilities um so it's yeah it's it's the, there's a tension here again um that maybe wasn't apparent for um I don't know what, 12 months. It's very hard to, here's the mm-hmm. strange thing about this because you, um, you sometimes try to put a full stop and say, that's it, everything is settled, everything is fine. And, uh, and of course, they're here as anywhere else. It's very hard to make a definite break and say, you know, uh, up until this point, things weren't good. Mm-hmm. Now everything is better mm-hmm. um and likewise um uh, to 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 mark the beginning where something becomes um deeply troubling or is just a moment that you think we've got to get through this moment um so i, I think things are a little bit uncertain i mean I'm speaking to you I don't know when where this is uh, going to be um available for people to listen to this conversation, but it's the eleventh of February as we talk. Um, And uh, to Friday before last, um, the European Commission mentioned the possibility of invoking Article 16 of the Northern Ireland Protocol, uh, which would mean, in effect, there would have been uh, a regulatory border on the island of Ireland, which the protocol was uh, intended to obviate. Um, And this was around COVID vaccines. But just for a few hours, the Friday before last, it seemed as though we were going to have a, in effect, a border, mm-hmm. um, and a bit like the I mentioned early on the Anglo-Irish Agreement in the mid nineteen eighties. These are small, often bureaucratic decisions. That's quite a big one, but these um, these agreements that can sometimes be, or decisions that can sometimes seem to be made, quite cavalierly, um, have enormous repercussions in people's sense of themselves. So all those people who were out protesting at the signing of the Anglo-Irish Agreement, um, if you, you try to enter into what people are thinking, you think, well, if somebody has grown up thinking all the time, I am British, or again, I am Irish, that is what I am. So since the Good Friday Agreement, people here have um, been able to uh, think of themselves and encouraged to think of themselves as Irish, British, both, neither. You can you can pretty much you could have been pretty much what you like. Brexit really upset that because it looked as though you had to make a decision again to stay here, be a part of this. You, You couldn't be part of everything all at once. And as a friend of mine said at the time of just after the referendum, he said, I was quite happy living in Belfast and he's Belfast born and lived all his life here. I was happy living here as long as I knew I was part of something bigger but the thought of staying here and being, you know, the offshore of, of Great Britain. Um, and that's all I am. I'm not part of Europe anymore. I'm not even part of this Island. That's the way he was thinking of it at the time. So I'm not, I'm not prepared for that. So I think, you know, those, those things do have an effect on how we feel ourselves to be. Um, mm-hmm. so they're, they're crucially, crucially important. Um, and uh, and we do not mess with these things lightly, which mean, doesn't mean that we never change anything, but we think about what the repercussions of them are. I just realised that brings me back around to iterations again, really. Do you know, I was
0: just thinking the same thing. <laughs> and it also made me think that in a way we've kind of come back to that circle uh, where we started Of Why did you leave? It made me realise that, uh, well, some people might leave, you know, again. <laughs> Because, uh, you know, for for various reasons and also, um, you know, the the impact uh, of these decisions uh, on on the sort of people that you've written about in Where Are We Now? You know, uh, uh, you know, the economic, not just the political implications, but the economic ones. Um, So, yes. um, And as you say, uh, people like to to sort of have uh, cut off points and say, well, everything is either uh, pre-Belfast agreement or post-Belfast agreement but in fact history you know is a process and it never stops happening and we're living through it and we don't realise it I mean someday somebody will write about the pandemic as a historical event
1: yeah yeah. and and also (laughs) Um, those those things my father died uh, three years ago and uh, and and you you look and you think you think about the you think about the the worlds that nobody could have seen you know, so at the at the time that he he died, um well the, the referendum had happened. Um, but you know, but this this pandemic that we're living through, the outworkings of that referendum, he'd already seen a lot of change in his life. Um and uh but you know, this this is the unimaginable future. He would never have he would never have guessed. Who would have guessed this? Um and and I always think we need to be humble uh before history i don't mean about the past i mean we need to be humble thinking about how we're going to look to future generations uh, how did we deal with things how did we behave towards other people what did we countenance in our names um and i i think we just have to be um yeah i th- i think we have to allow that that things will happen in the future that we just can't begin to imagine ourselves and at the same time we when people look back over a couple of hundred years uh, at us, we will be unimaginable to them um so um and i am i i am an optimistic person um i absolutely i love i love living I wouldn't say i love life i love living um i love my favorite word is abroad uh not in the sense of you know, traveling very far away. I like being out and about. Uh, I like being in the world, um, and I rejoice in I rejoice in streets. I rejoice in uh, townscapes. I I can't get enough of it. Um, and I think that 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 every day uh, determination and uh, and uh, love of the place that uh, you live is actually a very powerful tool um and probably um saves us from some of the um uh, the worst ravages of dogma and ideology um that it's a it's a it's a really it's a really important political position uh to be in love with living um and and one of the one of the things about being a social animal is that uh, the best way to ensure uh, your own freedom is to look out for everybody else's so don't don't go claiming things for yourself claim them for other people and trust that somebody else is going to look after yours um and i think that that combination um that's what gives me optimism for, for this place as soon as i stop talking to you i'm just going to run out into the street and yell i love you just a whole lot of it to that's belfast it. Just just a whole lot of it yeah because it's brilliant
0: Well, if you want to do that
1: now... I wouldn't be so rude as to do it in the middle of this. Yeah, I just talked myself into a moment of euphoria. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. Well, Glenn, it's obvious, you know, your love
0: of life and your love of of, of of Belfast and your love of the people of Belfast and your desire to do right by them in your writings, I think, comes through very strongly. And uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I'm conscious that the time has caught up with us wow. and, and we really look forward to welcoming you in person on the streets around Hammersmith <laughs> and you can shout I love you Hammersmith as well I'm sure <laughs> that'll go
1: down very well <laughs> uh, this is, thank you thank you so much and, um, and I do I, I do I do very much love this city and I do love its people but one of the things is I um, I, what I love about literature always is you don't have to know this place at all mm-hmm. you don't have to know North Belfast to pick up Milkman you don't no. know uh, have to know you you just have to um, enter into that world um and uh, and I, I you know i've read fiction from all over the world myself and i love doing <laughs> it and i always thought my ambition with writing novels that were set in belfast was that you didn't have to know this place um to to read them they just they just were part of that extraordinary mosaic um that all of these things can simultaneously be that every city in every country that you're never going to go to, can still be the centre of the world to these people who live in it. Mm -hmm. Well,
0: as you know, the parish is the universe.
1: Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> the Paris is
0: the universe. <laughs> uh,
1: thanks so much.
0: Not at all, Glenn. Thank you very much. And if you want to give a, a shout out to uh, your book, uh, Where Are We Now? It's Head of Zeus, I think, It can available in all good bookshops, as they say. And we look forward to your next one. Are You are working on something at the minute, or are you? I'm
1: actually, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm working on a nonfiction book and uh, and I'm working on a on a, a novel. And I have got a I've got a, a little book that I, I wrote during the first lockdown, um, just about a small park in Belfast that I pass um every day. Um and I when I'm at the university uh and I realized uh that it, it had played a big role in my life. So I've written a, a very small book about that as well.
0: That's, a, that's fantastic. Well, we look forward to that as well. Thank you very, very much. Thank Glenn. You. It's been Thank a pleasure so talking to you, Glenn Patterson. It's been
1: really Thank lovely. You. Thanks a million. And goodbye, everybody. And till soon in person.